0: of the House of Buzz podcast, you already know. I'm your host from Katie. This is episode number ten, so this is the first episode in the double digits. Also, happy Halloween to everybody out there. Hopefully, everyone's safe and celebrating with their costumes on or socially distantly uh, trick or treating. And uh, as you guys know, I had to hit you with the Halloween inspired beats, though. I mean, it just had to be done. You know the vibes, but. Interestingly enough, I'm actually not really into Halloween, and I know it sounds crazy because I literally just gassed up a Halloween beat and, and just put it in for you guys today, but I've, I've never really dressed up in a costume except for when I was like about 9 or 10, but if you're a person that isn't into Halloween, happy Halloween to you and your families. But anyways, we've got a ton to get into on this special Halloween episode of the pod today. We're going to get into some deep discussions on each of the last three games of the World Series, the now usual college football predictions where I go into the ESPN tab and like predict the scores live, I'm going to give you some NFL recaps from Week 7, and previews to get you ready for Week 8, some NBA offseason news, and a baller of the week that you do not want to miss. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode, and without further ado, we're going to get into some... Game breakdowns of this World Series, we have uh, Game 4, Game 5, and Game 6. And these three games, actually two, two or three of them, were probably one of the one of the more crazier, wilder games that we've had in, in World Series history. Uh, first up, we have Game 4. It was basically a bullpen game with Julio Arias going for the Dodgers and Ryan Yarbrough for the Rays. Also, and it was also filled with a ton of offense. Justin Turner kicked things off with a solo homer, the, solo homer in the top of the first. And then two innings later, Corey Seeger hits another home run. I think he had like eight on the on the postseason to, to help build their lead two to nothing. And then in the fourth, Randy Rosarina hit his ninth homer of the postseason, which is the most in a single season. But there's more to it. In the top of the fifth, Max Muncie hit an RBI single to continue to build that lead three to one. But then Hunter Renfro had a homer in the bottom of that same inning to cut the lead back to 1-3-2. to two. Then, the Dodgers traded another blow from Kike Hernandez's bat with the RBI double in the top of the sixth. And then at the bottom of that same inning, Brandon Lau hits a go-ahead 3 run bomb the other way to take the lead 5-4. Then, after a two-run single from Jack Peterson in the top of the seventh, Kevin Kiermaier tied it up with a solo homer in the bottom of that same inning. What? That's like what three straight innings where both teams have scored in the top and bottom halves. Like I've I've like never seen that since the twenty one to nineteen Yankees win. And if you don't want to, if and if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Foolish Baseball. He has like a YouTube channel, where he like breaks down certain like like baseball oddities and like he breaks down this game and i and i was actually like watching this live like i was actually broadcasting like a a, a game right in the middle of the of that yankee game it was an insane game i don't know if any i don't know if anything can compute to that game but i'm i'm pretty sure this game can definitely give a give a run for its money just because of the magnitude but anyway we're gonna get into that a little later then in the top of the eighth Seager, Corey Seeger hits a blue RBI single to get to get the lead back to the Dodgers seven to six. And then in the bottom of the ninth, one of the more wild finishes in sports history happens. Let me let me let me break it down bit by bit so you guys get the full picture here. So the, the pinch hitter Brett Phillips is up for the raise. In the regular season, he has had a 196 average. And then on the, on the bump, you have Dodgers reliever Kenley Jansen who's been lights out for most of his career, but kind of like his has been falling off a little bit the last couple years. But anyway, let's get into the at bat. I think it was like a 2-1, two, 2-2 two, two count. J- Jansen throws him an inside cutter, which is his uh, primary pitch, and then Phillips fights that off for a base hit. The Dodgers outfielder Chris Taylor, or center fielder Chris Taylor, bobbles the ball, which scores Kevin Kiermaier. But then what happened next was insane. The other runner on base, Randy Rosarena, rounds third but stumbles. Now it looks like in this moment that we're going to either have a short rundown that's not going to lead to anything or a clear out at the plate that's not going to lead into anything. And the only possible thing that can mess this up is a really, really bad mistake. And that's exactly what happened. Taylor throws, tries to throw Rosarena at home, but the Dodgers catcher Will Smith Thinks he's already close to him, so he tries to rush it and do a swipe tag, but then the ball tips off his glove and rolls all the way off, uh, all the way, all the way to the backstop. This allows Rose Rainer to score with absolute ease, and the Rays win 8 to 7 to tie things up at two games apiece. The, this game was insane, like, but I, f- I feel like there's gonna be a a just a, ge- a game just as insane coming up in a little bit, but this game for sure was, easy, like I said, easily one of the more wilder f- finishes in sports history. Next up, we have Game 5. The pitching matchup was a rematch of Game 1. Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers and Tyler Glasnow for the Rays. And in that Game 1, Glasnow imploded and Kershaw dominated. In Game 5, that story repeated itself. The, here's, here's Glasnow's final line. Five innings, six hits, four runs, three walks, seven strikeouts, and two homers allowed. That's not the best. And the only bright spot from this is the seven strikeouts, but that's a typical now because of his electric stuff. But the rest of it was because he imploded and just looked like wild postseason now, and not regular season dominant now. Something tells me that Tyler now could turn into a Kershaw in the postseason like in past years. Speaking of Kershaw, he was ready to go in this one. His final line was five and two-thirds innings, five hits, two runs, and six strikeouts. He was locating his pitches all night, just like in Game One. And if you could do that in a game, you're set. You're you're rolling for like six, seven innings, and you're and you keep doing that, you're going to be more than okay. Now I did see Jeff Paston say that his postseason legacy has been repaired from his last start. No shot. Even if he wins the World Series this year, which he actually did. Spoiler alert. I still think a bit of that monkey will stay on his back and take a dent in his chances to be in a, in the Hall of Fame. I, I will continue to stand by that. I'll, I'll actually take that to the grave. Like I really don't think Kershaw's going to be a Hall of Famer because of how royally bad he is in the postseason. Yes, he's easily one of the best like regular season pitchers of all time. But when you look at his postseason stats, especially like from the last like f- three to four years, it isn't ha- it, it. it's it isn't been great. And what makes pitchers a Hall of Fame pitcher is that you got to lock it down in the postseason to give your team a chance to win the World Series in the end. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with the rest of his career, but for me, I just don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Speaking of, I actually wrote an article on my website, which is called HouseofBars.com if you haven't already, if you haven't checked it out already, which which explains why I think Kershaw isn't a Hall of Famer. Now, on the offensive side of things, homers from Jack Peterson and Max Muncy put this game away easily in the later innings, as the Dodgers are one win away from being your World Series champs. Now, this game six. This game six was crazy. But before we get into that, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just get into it real quick. This matchup was an interesting one. Blake Snell for the Rays and Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers. Gonsolin was a quote-unquote opener for the Dodgers in game two and had a very peculiar stat line. He had one of everything. One, one and a third innings pitched, one hit, one run, one walk, one strikeout, and one homer allowed. That's insane. Like I I I don't know if I've ever seen that before in baseball. I think I've seen that in like basketball, where you have like one point one rebound, one assist, one block, one turnover, one whatever. Like I've never seen this in baseball. So I guess Gonsolin's making history in a peculiar way. I guess. But anyway, let's go over to Blake Snell now, who also pitched in Game Two, and he was dealing in this game. Four and two thirds innings pitched, only two runs allowed, and nine strikeouts. Although the four walks plagued him a bit. He still had a great outing. But the question is, will that continue in game six? Yes. 1000 percent yes. He had everything going for him. His breaking stuff was working, his fastball reached unprecedented numbers. He usually throws his fastball at like 95-96. But this in this game, he was reaching 97, even 98 on his fastball. That's like that that takes you way back to his like 2018 Cy Young and 20 wins type of dominant Blake Snell. Then, in the bottom of the sixth, then the bottom of the sixth inning rolls around. Austin Barnes hits a hanging slider from Snell up the middle for a base hit, and immediately after that, the worst decision in baseball history happens. Kevin Cash, the Dres' manager, pulls Snell out of the game. He was dealing. Why would you want to take him out? I just, I just don't get it. I, I mean, I get it because of their philosophy, which is analytics and based on. Which is which is analytics based, and historically, when the pitchers, when a pitcher faces a lineup the third time through, they're not great. I get that, but the man was dealing. Analytics can't touch that type of stuff, though. At least in my opinion, a lot of baseball fans, like Arod, uh, baseball, a lot of baseball fans, baseball experts, like A-Rod, Big Poppy, a bunch of different guys would say would, would actually agree with me on this one. Because when you see a guy that's dealing, if I were the manager or any other baseball fan or expert was the manager, I'd be like, nah, you're good. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to ride with you for a little bit. But I just actually, now that I think about it, though, I can see where Cash was coming from a little bit. Take, for example, the guy on the other dugout, Dave Roberts. He left in Clayton Kershaw in for too long, too many times to count throughout his managing career. Maybe Cash was worried that history w- would kind of repeat itself, but on his team. So I kind of get why he would do that a little bit, just in case if he somehow implodes because his arm might have been gassed out. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Because who they put in for Snell was just a horrible decision making. They replaced Snell with Nick Anderson. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, Rome. Nick Anderson has been such a great reliever in the regular season. Yeah, but that's in the regular season. I'd rebuttal that by saying he's he's had a 5.52 ERA in this postseason alone. 5.52. That is horrible. Yeah, not the greatest decision in the world to make for sure. And the struggles continued by allowing a Mookie, by Nick by Nick Anderson allowing a Mookie Bet single, throwing a wild pitch to score Austin Barnes. And a fielder's choice from Seager to score bets from third. Just like that, the Dodgers took that 1-0 lead away. That was off of in Ro- Rosarina's bat. He hit his tenth home tenth and final homer of the postseason, which is amazing. And the Dodgers took that back and 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 took their lead two to one. The reason I say final is because who else but Mookie betts his solo homer to seal things up? And that means the L.A. Dodgers have won their first World Series since 1988. But that's not all. This story that I'm going to talk about right here overshadowed all of, the, all of the stuff that was happening on the field. Now, Justin Turner, third baseman for the Dodgers, got tested positive for COVID-19. He didn't know that until the eighth inning and they quote-unquote isolated him. The reason why I put isolated as quotes is because, well, that didn't actually happen. Security at the stadium allowed him to go back out on the field, to celebrate with his teammates, and he had a mask on while he was coming out. But then when it was time to take pictures with the trophy, he was maskless and not even six feet apart. Get this, he sat right next to Dave Roberts, his manager, who was a cancer survivor, and he was maskless too. Oh my goodness, if this isn't the most 2020 moment that you've ever seen this year, I don't even know what even computes with that. But anyway, enough of all this uh, baseball, uh, enough of all this World Series stuff, all this like bad COVID stuff. We're going to talk into some positive stuff here, because since the baseball season is over, award season is right around the corner. And in honor of that, I'm going to put in my vote for the all MLB team this year. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically like the all NBA or or the all pro in the NFL. And 50% of the vote comes from the fans and the other comes from a panel of experts and voting is open from from now until November thirteenth, so get to voting if you haven't already. But we're gonna get things started from the All MLB team presented by Cohen Resnick, I think it is Cohen Resnick. Yeah. All right. So first up, we have uh, first base, and and these and these nominees are a combination from AL and NL. It's not just all AL or all NL. This is like all MLB. So all the AL and NL first basemen and all the other positions come together. So. First, for, for the first base, obviously, we have Jose Abreu, Brandon Belt, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Dominic Smith, and Luke Voigt. I mean, the guys that I'm looking at right now are Jose Abreu, Freddie Freeman, and Luke Voigt. I mean, Jose Abreu had a great season. Probably probably was in the MVP conversation for a little bit, especially with that stretch that he had in, like, I think it was, like, late August. But I think it comes down to Freddie Freeman or Luke Voigt because Luke Voigt led the league in homers with 22, and Freddie Freeman is gonna probably be an MVP candidate, maybe even the NL MVP winner. But oh, man, okay. I I know a lot of people are gonna say Freddie Freeman, and most people are gonna say Luke Voigt. Uh I hate to go my Yankees, uh, go against my Yankees, but I think just Fre- Freddie Freeman was just too good this year. Like he was a different breed this year. Maybe maybe different from all the other times he's been in the league and all the other seasons he's had. So next up, we have second base. The nominees are Kevin Vigio, Robinson Cano, Jay Cronenworth, Cesar Hernandez, DJ LeMayhew, Brandon Lau, and Donovan Solano. That's a lot of nominees for second base. Now, let me just just get into it real quick. I think the guys that I'm looking at here are Cronenworth, DJ LeMayhew, and Brandon Lau. Also, you could put in Donovan Solano in there because he had a great comeback year. But I feel like for me, what it comes down to is DJ and Brandon Lau, and for me, DJ takes the cake. He he led the league in, uh, in batting average, and he's and he's done that in the both the AL and the NL. Uh, I think it's been done a couple other times, but DJ is making history. So I got I got I I got to at least uh, bring my Yankees back into it. Give me DJ LeMahieu for second base. Now next up we have shortstop. We have Tim Anderson. Xander Bogarts, David Fletcher, uh, Jose Iglesias, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Dansby so- Dansby Swanson, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trey, Tur- Trey Turner. Uh this this actually this actually might be kind of hard, but I feel well, I mean o- Jose Jose Iglesias was like different this year for the Orioles. He was he was like hitting balls all over the place. Uh Tim Anderson was really good uh david fletcher's like his has his own meme has his own fans now he's getting a lot of memes like uh but i mean i gotta go with fernando he's he's my favorite player i know that sounds like bias but it's just the way he plays it's just a different different kind of baseball and i love it so give me fernando tatis now for third base we have actually a lot of um uh, a lot of national League national years in here we have brian anderson Alec Bohm, Manny Machado, Jose Ramirez, Anthony Rendon, Justin Turner, and my guy from the Yankees, Gio Urshela. But I don't think Gio Urshela is even in this conversation. To be honest with you, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm just gonna be that frank with you. But I, I, I probably go with either Machado or Jose Ramirez. That's actually the, these two are actually really tough because Jose Ramirez could easily be an AL MVP candidate or even front runner. Uh well I mean he is an MVP candidate but the question is is he a front runner or not? And Machado had a great season as well compared to last year. You no, know, give me Manny. I, I I like what Manny's doing in San Diego. He's kind of rebuilding his career a little bit. Like he's 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 been hitting the cover off the ball lately along with his uh fielding. He hasn't really shown it this year, but obviously when he was with the Orioles, he was making all kinds of great plays. So, I got to go with Machado on this one. Next up we have catcher uh, and the nominees are Travis Darno, Yasmani Grandal, Sean Murphy, Austin Nola, Salvador Perez, J.T. Romuto, and Will Smith. I feel like I can at least name like I think there's like at least five or six guys that could easily win this thing. This is this is easily one of the more tougher positions in my opinion. But my my three that are gonna that are gonna go to the my 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 top three are Darno, Will Smith, and JT Realmuto, But I gotta go with Darno. He had a great season this year. He's really proving himself as a as a good catcher in baseball. He's he, he kinda took a long time to bloom, but he's 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 blooming now. He's doing his thing with Atlanta. So give me Darno on that one. And then next up we have the designated hitter. Uh, for the for those we have Michael Brantley, Nelson Cruz, Marcel Azuna. Franmil Reyes and Jesse Winker. Now, when I say Marcelo Zuna and Jesse Winker, you're thinking, Rome, National League didn't have a DH this year. Actually, they did. MLB had this thing where, like, the AL and the NL would have a DH. So, that, that includes some National Leaguers in here, too, which is interesting. <sighs> okay, so, Jesse Winker had a great, like, July or August. He had a, he had a great month of August. Um, Nelson Cruz has been hitting the cover off the ball like his whole whole life. He's probably like the coolest grandpa in baseball right now, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Marcel Ozuna is another really good uh, player for the for the Braves. He had a great season. Um, Michael Brantley, Framar Reyes had a, had okay seasons, but I, I like what they're doing. Uh, I'm kind of tossed up between Cruz and Ozuna. But give me Ozuna. Ozuna had a great season. He's really proving himself with Atlanta. And now we're going into the outfield. This is easily one of the more tougher positions to um, kind of dissect and kind of pick three from. We, yeah, I have to vote for three players for this one. We have Ronald Cunha Jr., Michael Conforto, Bryce Harper, Eloy Jimenez, Will Myers, Juan Soto, Mike Trout, of course, the GOAT, Mookie Betts, Trent Grisham, Teoscar Hernandez, Kyle Lewis, AJ Pollock, George Springer, and 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 Mikey the grandson of I think Carl Ustremski. Right off the bat, I'm taking off Yas. I'm taking off Springer. I'm taking off Pollock. Maybe Kyle Lewis could be in there. I'm taking off Teoscar. I'm taking off Trent Grisham. It's really hard because the because Hernandez and Grisham are great. Uh, I'm taking off um Conforto. I'm taking off Bryce. So the guys that we have left are um, – actually, I'll be taking off Myers too. Actually, we have uh, Acuna, Soto, Trout, Betts, uh, and then I think that's it. So Those are the four that I'm thinking about. Soto had a great year. Um, he had, he's had a 350 average this year, 13 homers, 37 ribbies, 1,000 OPS. That's insane. He was a great hitter this year. Uh, Trout's always hitting the cover off the ball like crazy. So right off the bat, I have to go with Mike Trout and Mookie Betts because they're easily two of the best players in baseball. Some are saying Mookie Betts is better than Mike Trout. I don't I don't agree with that at all. I mean, I get I get what he did in the postseason to kind of like strengthen that conversation of who's the baseball goat, but Trout's easily the goat. There's just no question about that. I'm not I'm not I'm just gonna be firm about that and not change that for a while. Also, on the website, too, like I mentioned earlier, I talk about who, I talk about who my goat is, like Mike Trout or Kendrick Jr. I mean, spoiler, alert, you already know who my goat is, Mike Trout. But if you want to get like a deeper, deeper breakdown of it, go check out the website; it's on there. So, but anyway, the third one, mm, kind of tough, but I gotta go Juan Soto. He had a great hitting year this year, so I gotta go Juan Soto. And then lastly, we gotta pick our the starting rotation for the All MLB team. This is going to be a long This is a long nominees list. All right, so first off, we have Chris Bassett, Trevor Bauer, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, Carlos Carrasco, Garrett Cole, Yu Darvish, Jacob DeGrom, Max Fried, Zach Allen, Lucas Gilito, Kyle Hendricks, Clayton Kershaw, Dallas Keuchel, Denelson Lumet, Lance Lynn, Kenta Maeda, Aaron Nola, Hinjin Ryu, and Brandon Woodruff. That took a long time to read. Hold on one second. Let me just get some water on that real quick. All right, that was good. I needed that. All right, mm, this one's a really, really tough one because there's easily so many good pitchers from this list. I got to go Trevor Bauer first off. He's he's my pick for Cy Young. He's, he has to be in this conversation. He's going to get paid this offseason. I'm telling you, he's going to get so paid. Like He's going to get like easily nine figures from some contending team that, that's going to get him, maybe even my Yankees. I feel like the Yankees could get him. But I don't know, maybe Severina could come back and all that. But anyway, that's just, I'm trailing off here. I should stay on the topic here. Well, Shane Bieber has to be in here too. He's easily going to be the A.L. Cy Young. I don't know why I was thinking there for a long time, but Shane Bieber has to be in this conversation. No question about that. Um, And then I would, I'm would. i looking at Giolito and Max Reed because Giolito had a great, great regular season. So you You could forget about his 3.48 ERA. Uh, he pitched a no-hitter. Um, I, I mean, I, there's just nothing else to say. He pitched a no-hitter. Uh, yeah, give me Giolito. And give me his high school teammate if you didn't know that, Mr. Max Freed. Max Freed had a great year. He was undefeated with a 2.25 ERA, 7-0, by the way, if you're to be exact, uh, 1.09 whip and 50 strikeouts. Hugh Darvish also had a great year. Man, this is tough. Who's gonna be my fifth? I'm going, I'm I'm probably gonna um go for either Darvish, uh Corbin Burns, or probably Zach Allen, because Zach Allen had a great, great year. I don't I don't know if Zach is gonna be in it though, because even though he was really good, I just don't know. Lancelin and Aaron Nola were different this year. Like Nola's curveball is nasty, and Lancelin had an electric fastball. My my gut's telling me to go with you Darvish, so I I'm gonna go with you Darvish on this one. Oh, actually, we we have one more thing, which is the relief pitchers. Uh, we have to choo- I have to choose two here: Nick Anderson, who I mentioned earlier, Edwin Diaz, Brad Hand, Greg Holland, James Karinchak, Trevor Rosenthal, Alex Colomay, Jake Diekman, Liam Hendricks, Jeremy Jeffress, Drew Pomeranz, and Devin Williams. Right off the bat, I don't even have to discuss this. Liam Hendricks and Devin Williams are my two relievers in this one. Liam Hendricks had a nasty year: fourteen saves, a one point uh, seven eight ERA, 0.67 WHIP, and thirteen point one strikeouts per nine. That's great from him. And then, I mean, Devin Williams had a great year, even though he wasn't really a closer. He was he was a guy that would set up for like Josh Hader in the seventh and seventh or eighth innings. He had an unhittable changeup. He he got so many strikeouts on that changeup. Um, so far uh, or well, this year, he had a .33 ERA, a .63 whip, and 17.7 strikeouts per nine. I mean, if you don't think that's good enough to win all MLB for relievers, I just don't know what is. But anyway, let me let me just do some extra stuff real quick and we'll come back. Hold on one second. All right, y'all. I just submitted my uh, vote for the all MLB team. And also uh, one more thing to mention again, it's open until November 3rd. So if you're a baseball fan and you want to put if you want to put your knowledge into some uh, voting this year, go to go vote on MLB.com now. This is a great, great, great award. I'm really glad they're doing like this all MLB thing because I guess a lot of fans are trying to ask them like, oh, you should do an all MLB team like the NBA or the NFL. But I'm really excited that they're doing this, so definitely you definitely should vote for that one. Next week, I'll break down the BBWAA Awards finalists, like Cy Young, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, the Gold Glove winners, and predicting the Platinum Glove winner, which I'll which I'll dive into more like what that is next week. But next up, we have my my new thing that we're doing for the podcast, which is that I'll give you. Uh, this Saturday's top twenty-five Slated Games predictions. And if you're watching this a few days later, you might think I'm an idiot or genius. We'll find out <laughs> later on. But anyway, we'll we'll let's start getting into some predictions here. First up we have Boston College versus number one Clemson. Even though Trevor Lawrence got COVID, prayers up to him, by the way. I, I could I could definitely see a Boston College upset, but I think uh, Travis Etienne the running back is just gonna like trample all over that defense. So give me Clemson to win that one. Next up, we have Georgia versus Kentucky. Georgia Georgia's easily going to be in the college football playoff conversation, maybe like a three or a four seed. But, yeah, I mean, give me Georgia. They're just they're just too nasty this year. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Next up, we have Memphis versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati has actually been a really feel-good type of story. They've been having a great year. Excuse me, Memphis has already been having a great year too. But give me Cincinnati to stay undefeated and go 5-0 and on the year. Next up, we have a good old-fashioned Michigan rivalry: Michigan State versus Michigan, obviously at Ann Arbor. So that's going to be a really good one. I wish they had fans in the stands because those Ann Arbor fans would be just like booing Michigan State and going big blue. Because I, I, I was, I actually went to their stadium one time when I was like little, like, f- like six or seven. It was, it was a great atmosphere. Like you, you would sit in these like, old, it was like only bleachers. There wasn't like a seat cushion like which I'm in now, but I'm in, like, I'm in like a wicker chair. But like. If you if you if you think of like a baseball stadium as like just all chairs and cushion, nah, scrap that. This this Ann Arbor stadium was just like full on bleachers. It was insane. Like it was it was the it was the quintessential college football atmosphere. But anyway, um, I'm not really liking Michigan, even though they trounced Minnesota last week. Oh uh, man, I mean I hate I hate Michigan. I don't like Michigan. <laughs> they're just they're just not good. Um, Michigan State lost to Rutgers. That was funny. <laughs> I mean, that was just a, a Greg Schiano effect probably for Rutgers. But um, mm, give me Michigan State to upset it. Like, I could definitely see Michigan State just somehow upsetting Michigan. So give me Michigan State to win. Um, next up, we have number 16, Kansas State, going up against West Virginia. Kansas State is 4 and 1 and West Virginia is 3 and 2. Two two really good teams actually. Not not too bad start to the year. I think Kansas State just beat Kansas out of the water. So, um, give me Kansas Kansas State to win. They're just they're just a really good team this year. Next up we have number 20 Coastal Carolina going up against Georgia State. Coastal Carolina has been a great story. I saw that there was this like article on them or on them that's um, on them that someone wrote on ESPN.com. Uh, I it was like all the like oddities that they would do or something like that. I don't know, but um, I guess uh, give me Coastal Carolina to win this one. They're just a really good team. Uh, next up we have number twenty-three Iowa State going up against zero and five Kansas. I mean I don't I don't even know what else to say for this one. Give me give me my AZ native Brock Purdy. And, and and Iowa State getting the dub here. Next up at 3:30 on ABC, we have number four Notre Dame going up against Georgia Tech. That that's that that that's going to be interesting game. Actually, not that interesting because Notre Dame's going to walk out of there with a W. Uh, next up, we have number 17 Indiana going up against Rutgers. My 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 dad's a my dad went to Rutgers. My aunt went to Rutgers. I have a lot of I have a lot of Rutgers New Jersey family blood in me. Um uh, I really like what Shiano's doing with this team. I mean, hopefully they can string together a couple wins because they're just notoriously trash. But um man. I'm thinking I'm thinking Indiana's gonna walk out of here. Yeah, give me Indiana. All right, next up is a really interesting one. It might not sound interesting, but it's interesting to me. Texas going up against number six Oklahoma State. Texas has been in a couple games. I mean, although they've been two and two, they've 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 really battled in a lot of a lot of their games this year. And Oklahoma State has been doing great. They're undefeated on the year in the Big Twelve. Um, but I mean, I could definitely see an upset here. So give me Texas to win this one. They've been upset so many times in this year. So it's about time they return the favor and kind of make up for those big losses that they've had. So give me Texas to win. Next up, we have twenty-five. Number twenty-five, Boise State going up against Air Force. Shout out to the uh, servicemen, by the way, uh, keeping our country safe. So shout out to them. But uh, give me Boise State. They're gonna they're gonna stay undefeated, go two and zero in the year in that Mountain West Conference. Next up, we have Mississippi State going up against number two Alabama. I mean, Alabama's too good. Mississippi State is not that good. So give me Alabama to win. Next up is easily one of the more top matchups in college football. Number three, Ohio State going up against number eighteen Penn State. This is this is easily one is this is easily one of the more top matchups to watch every year when these two teams go at it. Like their their last matchup in like twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen was a big one. Like when J T Barrett was still on on Ohio State throwing dots. I again, this is this is one where I could definitely see an upset here. Give me, uh, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me Ohio State. I saw I'm going to say, Ohio State. Nothing else. I took too long in that. But next up, we have Arkansas versus number eight, Texas A&M. Texas A&M has been good. I mean, obviously, they're eighth ranked, So give me Texas A&M to win. Next up, we have Florida going against Missouri. I love this Florida team. I love this. I love the Kyle duo with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. their QB and wide receiver, respectively. Um... They have a great offense. I'm not sure about their defense. Um, but I think but I think their offense kind of makes up for it. They have two Heisman uh, nominees at least in my opinion and and Trask and Pitts. So give me Florida to win. Uh, next up we have 22 SMU going up against Navy. Um, Navy's Navy's bat uh, Navy's batting 500 on the year while SMU's 5 and 1. So give me SMU to win. I know I'm just probably sounding biased because I'm going off the records, but I I just think I just think SMU's been really good this year. Next up we have North Carolina going up against Virginia. You know I like Sam Howell in North Carolina, and give me the Tar Heels to win this one. Next up we have number 24 OU going up against Texas Tech. Uh, Oklahoma's been really good. Uh, well I mean kind of eh. But I really like what uh, Rattler's doing. The AZ native, of course, i got to rent my AZ fam. You already know that. But um, I, like, I like Oklahoma to win. Give me, give me them to win and kind of bump back in the rankings a little bit. Next up, we have Western Kentucky against BYU. BYU's insane. Uh, I, ju- I just think they're going to be really good. So give me them to win uh, and go up 7-0. And that's it for my college football predictions. Hopefully you guys uh, can watch a couple of these games today or you just want to just chill out and watch highlights after. That's completely fine. So I, I would I would definitely want to watch a couple of these games today for sure. All right, next up from the college to the pro gridiron, we have uh, some results that I had my eye on in Week 7, which was first up we have the Cardinals handing the Seahawks their first loss of the season by a final score of 37-34. to 34. I told you guys last week that this game was going to be one of the top ones of the week, and it lived up to every bit of the hype. One QB had a great game, and the other had a meh game. But, but those two like uh, stereotypes aren't what you think they are. Kyler Murray ha- was the one having a great game, having 427 total yards and four total, total touchdowns. However, on the o- other hand, Wilson's three interceptions kind of offset the 3TDs the he threw in this game. Chase Edmonds, the Cardinals running back, in my opinion, solidified himself as a great dual threat starting running back on the Cardinals. However, the thing that was a made headline, though, was that Cardinals defense. Oh my goodness, this defense is something special. Hassan Reddick had a sack and three tackles for loss. The, probably one of the best safeties in the league, in my opinion. Buda Baker had a tackle for loss and an interception. That should have been a pick six, if not for DK Metcalf's incredible speed, along with uh, along with the Patrick Peterson interception. And finally, my guy Isaiah Simmons did something in an NFL game. He's been doing nothing for the Cardinals. I thought he was going to be one of the best linebackers in football or best linebackers so far in his rookie season because of his like, like skills, skill set and all that. But finally, he did something in the game, picking off Russell Wilson off in the fourth quarter. That set up a game-winning field goal in OT to give the Cardinals the win and potentially slide themselves into the playoff picture. Next up, we have the battle of undefeated. the Steelers beating the, uh, the Steelers beat the Titans. Spoiler alert: it was 27 to 24. The Steelers took a took a commanding 24 to 7 lead over the Titans at the halftime break. I don't know what the Titans head coach Mike Bravel told his players in the locker room, but it worked as after a field goal from the Steelers early in the third quarter, the Titans scored 17 unanswered points to put them within a field goal. However, if Steven Gostkowski missed field goal, sealed it up for the Steelers, wrapped it up, all ready to go, as they go 6-0 on the year. Lastly, my, my dad likes the Chargers. He used to live in San Diego for a long time, but now they're in L.A. doing their thing. Like, I mean, they're easily one of the best, like, losing teams in the – in football right now as they as they win to the jaguars 39 to 29 once again my front runner excuse me for offensive rookie of the year justin herbert went off in this game he had he had 413 total yards four total tds and zero interceptions this guy is definitely the quarterback for the future at least in my eyes i mean i keep hearing on tv that the days of the mobile quarterback are now are no and are now more important than ever i mean guys like kyler murray patrick mahomes Lamar Jackson can get out of the pocket when you need them to. And Herbert is starting to build that credibility as a top-tier quarterback in this league who can throw the deep ball and also run out of the pocket if you need him to. And even though they're 2-4, and four, this Chargers team is really good and can easily slide themselves into a playoff conversation in the AFC in the near future. Ne- uh, but, but next up, we're done with Week 7. Now I'm going to give you guys a couple games to preview for Week 8. First up, we have the LA Rams going up against the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the main headline here is that Tua Tagovailoa is making his first ever start as a Dolphin, and boy, does he have a tough test at home. Tough, tough test. He's facing a Rams defense that sacked Nick Foles and the Bears four times and hit and hit him eight times. However, they overall they've had twenty-four sacks on the year, which is tied for the third highest in football, behind only the Buccaneers defense and the Steelers defense. Steelers defense who have been some of the best D's in football. Now let's see if Tua's elusiveness can help him out there. Although their O-line can protect Tua, they can't really protect the run, averaging 3.8 yards per carry. And because of this, give me the Rams to give Tua a really, really tough time in the pocket in his first full game as a starter. So give me the Rams to win. Next up, we have the Steelers versus the Ravens, two of the more complete teams in the AFC besides the Chiefs in my opinion most but but surprisingly the Steelers offense is 23rd in the league in yards per game with 3 358.7. And the Ravens D is not so good at really stopping the run either. However, on the pass rush, you do not want to play with them at all. They're tied for fifth in sacks with 22. And on the other side, the Steelers defense was fantastic at the pass rush and stopping the run. This one will be close, and I think it will be decided by a game-winning field goal. But my gut's telling me to go with the Steelers. I mean, the Ravens have been good, but honestly, Lamar hasn't been like last year's MVP type season, Lamar. And that defense, although it's good, like I just don't see them really doing well with how good that offense is too. I mean, all yes, they yes, they have twenty third in league in yards per game, but Big Ben, Juju, Deontay Johnson, and Claypool can definitely go off in this game. So give me the Steelers to win and stay undefeated and go seven and oh on the year. In my opinion, I think it's going to be easily one of the more top matchups of the week, and I'll be watching it for sure. Now shifting from the gridiron to the the basketball court, we have some off-season news coming from the NBA and some coaching news, actually. First up, we have uh, Steven Silas, former Dallas Mavericks assistant and son of, I think, Paul Silas, who played for the Spurs for a long time, is going to the Houston Rockets as a coach. Now this came as a surprise to me. But his resume includes assistant coach Kemba Walker in his early years in Charlotte and Steph Curry's early, early years as a Golden State Warrior. Uh, but besides that, I don't really have much else on him. But to me, it seems to be a good hire. So I, I, I think the Rockets can build around him and kind of build around what his uh, play style is. Speaking of the Rockets, their former GM, Daryl Morey, is now the 76ers GM. See, guys, I told you he'd be in the contention for another job in the near future. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that head coach GM duo of Doc Rivers and Dale Morey. My goodness, the Sixers are stacked in that front office right now. But let's just see if that really translates to wins and playoff successes. Next up, we ha- or last up, actually, we have our Baller of the Week this week. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically where I pick any player from any major sport who had a great week, the week that I'm recording a podcast. And this week, that player is Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Scott Miller. The Bowling bowling Green product easily had one of the best games of his young career. And even with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin playing in this game, Miller was the star in this one. He had six catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. Hopefully we can expect more from this rising star in the future. And guys, that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the House of Ballers podcast. Please subscribe or drop a follow if you haven't already. And once again, happy Halloween to everyone out there. I'm out, y'all. Peace!